I'm Jorge Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Scientists have used big data to catch a big fish genome. Researchers assembled and annotated for the first time the genome of Seriola dorsalis, also known as California yellowtail, a fish of high value to the sashimi or raw seafood industry. The science team members were from the U.S. National Marine Fisheries Service, Iowa State University, and the Instituto Politecnico Nacional in Mexico. They published their results in January of 2018 in the journal BMC Genomics. Assembling and annotating a genome is like building a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle, and the Seriola dorsalis genome had 685 million pieces, its base pairs of DNA, to put together. The researchers were awarded computational allocations from Exceed, the extreme science and engineering discovery environment funded by the National Science Foundation. That gave them access to the blacklight system at the Pittsburgh Supercomputing Center to assemble the Seriola dorsalis genome. Exceed also allocated use of the Stampede 1 supercomputer at the Texas Advanced Computing Center to analyze and annotate the fish genome. What's more, the science team got direct help from workflow experts through the Exceed Campus Champions program at PSC. On the line are two scientists and co-authors of this first-ever genomics work. Andrew Severin is a facility manager, and Arun Sitharam is an associate scientist. They're both at the Genome Informatics facility of Iowa State University. Dr. Severin and Sitharam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, all right. This is Andrew Severin. Hi, Nice talking to you. What are the main findings of your study published January of 2018 in the journal BMC Genomics on the genome of the Seriola dorsalis that's also known as California yellowtail? The major findings in this publication were to characterize the Seriola dorsalis genome and its annotation, along with getting a better understanding of sex termination of this fish species. We can now say confidently that it is or it has a ZW sex termination system and that the chromosome that it's contained on and the region that actually determines sex termination in this fish. So like humans that have XY sex termination, there are several different types of sex termination in species. One of them is ZW, which basically means that instead of having the heterozygous gamete being in the males, so you know, men, humans, have an X and a Y, uh, where females have an X and an X. In this fish, the females have the heterozygous chromosomes. And instead of calling it XY, they call it ZW to distinguish between whether it's the male or the female that has these heterozygous gametes. And being able to determine sex in fish is really important because we can develop a marker that can be used to determine sex in young fish that you can't distinguish phenotypically. And this can be used to improve aquaculture practices. Phenotypically meaning, um, I guess, that you can't kind of eyeball whether a fish is a female or a male, is that? Right, you can, you'll look at two fish and you can't distinguish between male and female. They're roughly the same size. There's nothing in there that would distinguish. You have to wait until they're older, um, actually spawn, and they'll either produce sperm or eggs. And at that point, you could tell. And then you'd have to keep track of which fish are which in order to be able to stock the tanks appropriately. So being able to actually determine sex at a younger age will allow us to stock the tanks with the appropriate portions of males and females to get better offspring. You've annotated this genome of the California yellowtail. 
Could you explain, maybe just stepping back a little bit, could you explain what is gene annotation? And it'd be helpful if you could use a simple analogy. Wow, that's a really challenging question because personally, I don't think there is a good analogy that really gives what genomes are or gene annotation are, what they do, really any kind of justice. Perhaps maybe a symphony of interactions. The gene annotations are locations in the genome that encode transcripts that are converted into proteins, and proteins are the molecular machinery that operate all the biochemistry in the body. And even that, I think, is an oversimplification of all the regulation. I know that people refer to genes being turned on or turned off depending on the situation, but in reality, genes are both turned on and off simultaneously. They're finely tuned to the specific level that's needed for the particular stimuli. And that kind of point is lost a lot of times when we try to use these simple analogies. People refer to them as words in a book. And the letters A, C, T, and G are the contents of the book. But then what are all the spaces between the words, which are also letters? And sometimes the position of the words. So if you took that book that people use as an analogy you'd almost have to fold it up in an origami style and read the words not left or right, but also through three-dimensional space of the origami book that you've created. And all of that complexity is all woven into a genome. People have sequenced, or we've known the assembly of the human genome since 2001, and we still don't fully understand how genomes work. We don't know the function of 50% of the genes in most assemblies. There is so much we don't understand about genome science, and it's one of the reasons why it's such a fascinating topic to study. To add to Andrew, it's something like what you see in the spy stories where he opens up a book and takes the first letter of different pages and <laughs> finds some meaningful information. It's something like that. So we find the genes from like taking different words together and making a meaningful sentence where the meaningful sentence is a gene that controls a particular character or a phenotype. That's what the genome annotation is all about. Talk a little bit about this achievement. What went into it? How did you all do this? This started with a collaboration with the Southwest Fisheries Science Center, which is part of NOAA. Catherine Purcell contacted me originally to do a large RNA-seq project and it turned out that there was sufficient funding to also do a genome assembly. And that resulted in a, a long-term collaboration with the Southwest Fisheries Science Center. And with the, the recent advances of high-throughput DNA sequencing, we're now able to generate terabytes of sequencing data. This tends to be short, 100 to 150 base pair reads that we have to put together like a very large puzzle and figure out where all the pieces go. Can I jump into the um, computation side a little bit of this? Um, you mentioned the terabytes of data. What are some of the computational challenges that you faced in gene annotation and assembly of the Seriola dorsale genome? So the Seriola dorsalis genome is about uh, 600 MB. We cannot have a single piece for every bit of this genome to build the entire 600 MB of genome. I mean, MB in the sense base pairs, so each letter. There are 680 million base pairs. 
So we had to sequence them for quite a bit of depth in order to construct the full 600 base pair. It's a lot of data. Like we had about 500 gigs of raw sequence data for this genome. Since we already are starting with 500 gigs of data, we need to have something a lot more of RAM to take them all in the memory and then put them together to construct the 600 MB genome. We needed really powerful machines, so we started looking for all the machines. At that time, the only computer that we had had 512 gigs of RAM that was at uh, ISU. So, uh, I mean, we needed something bigger. Would you speak to some of the resources that you used through Exceed, the extreme science and engineering discovery environment? They provide hardware, software, and expertise in how to use the machines. Could you speak to Exceed and, and how they helped you overcome these challenges? Sure. So when we first started using the Exceed resources, there was an option for us to select for ECSS, which is extended support for the Exceed resources. We thought it will be great help if there is someone from the Exceed side to help us. So we opted for that and we quickly found Philip Blood, who helped us with everything, starting from the genome assembly. We ended up using Blacklight at the time because it had a lot of RAM. If you think about a typical laptop, um, you have 8 or 16 gigabytes of this memory. But this machine had probably closer to 2,000 gigabytes of RAM. So many, many, many laptops worth of, of memory on this machine. And as Arun mentioned, our raw data by itself was close to 500 gigabytes. And all the assembly programs that are generated, at least by these bioinformaticians, require that you put everything into RAM. Maybe not the most optimized, but it's what we currently have and, and what is currently state-of-the-art in the field. Uh, and part of that is you need to be able to compare every single piece of sequence data to every other piece to figure out which pieces need to be joined together, like I said in that proverbial puzzle. We also used Stampede, which the, the first Stampede, which is another Exceed computational resource that has lots and lots of compute nodes. Each compute node you can think of as a separate computer. And uh, we use that to do the annotation of these gene models that we identified in the genome to try to figure out what their function was. And that required us to perform an analysis called BLAST. And it required many, many, many CPUs. I'm not sure what our ultimate CPU count, but it was at least over a year's worth of compute time that we ended up doing within a couple weeks worth of time because of the many nodes that were on Stampede. I'd like to come back to the study and a big picture question, I guess. Why did scientists pick the California yellowtail fish? What makes this fish um, special and important enough to go through all this gene annotation? Yellowtail is a very strong candidate for commercial offshore aquaculture production. So really there are two main reasons. The first is economic. So U.S. currently imports significantly more fish than it exports. And so there's a desire to be more competitive in this area. And the second reason is that we need more sustainable sources for food production to help accommodate the growing world population. And I believe that aquaculture will be one of those very important sources in the future. How does this kind of work 
studying the genomics of the fish, how does that help, um, I guess, fish farmers? How does it help them? Right now, fish farmers go out into the wild and they capture wild fish that they use for broodstock, which means that those fish are used to produce more fish. And depending on the quality of those initial fish will depend on the quality of the offspring. And given uh, genomic resources, a genome annotation, and exploring molecular markers that might be related to, say, something like deformities, you can screen your broodstock to eliminate fish that have a higher propensity to have jaw deformities, which reduce its market value, or fish that produce very small fish so that you only end up growing very large fish or fish that can convert fish feed better than other fish. I know that there are groups out there that study soy meal as a fish feed alternative. And if they could identify fish in their broodstock that can more easily convert soy feed into muscle mass and or fish mass, then they can save Uh, a lot of money in fish meal. Those are some applications that you can apply genomic resources and knowledge of the genome and its annotation to improving sustainable marine aquaculture practices. Dr. Severin and Sitharam, would you speak to the science context of these findings? Um, What's the ultimate impact that these findings will have in advancing the science of understanding uh, California yellowtail or fish genomes in general, or how does it fit in? It's going to be really important as a tool for aquaculture farmers to be able to select fish that they want to breed for better farming practices, for more fish to help to uh, meet the supply and demand needs of a growing population, to help be more competitive in the aquaculture market in the U.S. There's also some interesting science in the sex determination region. We think we've identified the sex determining gene that was a result of a upstream deletion, but right now it's, it's just a hypothesis. If we really wanted to test that down the road, we'd probably end up using uh, another molecular tool called CRISPR to knock it out in males to see if that makes it female or not. Those are the findings that are off the top of my head. Yeah, I was just going to add something to Andrew. So unlike the farm animals and land plants where we have uh, powerful breeding technologies that we can use them for crop implement, we lack that for marine species. So by knowing the genomic resources, by knowing the sex, and by knowing more information about these genomes, now we have the ability to make improvements in these genomes and we can improve these to our tastes and thus increase the production and have more food. We speak to the limitations of the study. What are some of the things that the study did not do? And maybe speak to like what's next for this research. I can add a little bit. So the genome that we assembled is not perfect. So not perfect in the sense, so there are, uh, there are many different chromosomes we weren't able to recover the sequence for the entire chromosomes intact. We have a bunch of scaffolds representing each of those chromosomes, and we are missing a lot of information that is needed to fill in the gaps. So that's one of the things that we couldn't do it 
probably because lack of long reads, the technology that gives us longer reads than having the short reads is one of our limitations, I think. We also hypothesized in the paper of this deletion that's upstream of a gene that converts estrone into estrogen. So that's part of the sex determination pathway uh, that may be responsible for sex determination. But since it's just a hypothesis based on computational methods, this needs to be definitively proved in the lab. And so we could certainly follow that up with a CRISPR-like experiment to test this mutation. We are also collecting data for a large GWAS experiment on jaw deformities. Try to identify the locations and variants in the genome that are more likely to result in deformities in the offspring. And so we can use this genome, but we haven't done that yet, so we're still collecting those samples. But we'll be able to use that genome to provide markers to the farmers to select against fish that have these propensities for jaw deformity. What's the most important thing that you want the public to know about the study of the genome of California yellowtail? You know, people hear about big data, and we're using big data to try to solve problems in sustainable food production, in this case, aquaculture production. And I believe that the public is going to see more of this type of big data utilization and why science is so important for our future. The study itself, being able to doing a genome, doing sanitation, identifying sex termination, that's really low-hanging fruit that people do. That's like one of the first things people will look at when they're doing a genome assembly. But in the broader scale of things, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to be able to start comparing genome assemblies with each other and really start getting at understanding what a genome is and how does it work and how does a particular genome, the presence or absence of genes or its context and its three-dimensional structure, how does that make a species? I think that's what the take-home message is. Big data keeps getting bigger and we're finding really interesting things. Probably this is the first step towards uh, crop improvement knowing the sex, knowing the genome. We have just started, so probably there will be more studies using this information to use it for various other things that will be more impactful for the general public. But this is the basic study that will foster the future studies. Dr. Sitharam and Severin, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Andrew Severin and Arun Sitharam of Iowa State University. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.